WMEX Quincy Boston and 101.1 FM W266DQ Quincy. WMEX Quincy Boston. Streaming at WMEXBoston.com. And on your smart speaker, just say play WMEX. The greatest hits of all time are back. This is the all-new WMEX. WMEX Boston. Legacy Legal Live, hosted by Kendra O'Toole, Michelle Reed, and Elizabeth Caruso of Legacy Legal Planning, is a show about discussing your estate plans, options, and answering your questions. Call in at 781-834-9639 and start your lifelong partnership covered by benefits that you've earned through proper legacy planning. Now here's your hosts, Kendra, Michelle, and Elizabeth. Good evening. Thank you for joining us on Legacy Legal Live. The content presented in this radio show, hosted by the attorneys of Legacy Legal Planning, LLC, is intended for educational purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice, and listeners are strongly advised not to rely on the information provided for specific legal decisions. Legacy Legal Planning LLC and its attorneys are not responsible for any actions taken based on the content of this show. For personalized legal advice, listeners are encouraged to consult with a duly licensed attorney in their respective state. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. I am Kendra O'Toole. I am Michelle Reed. And we are the attorneys with Legacy Legal Planning. We help our clients with estate planning. We are based out of Norwell, and we also do some elder law. So we've now been on this radio station for four months, and tonight we wanted to take it back to some of the basics. We hope that if you're just tuning in, this will be new for you. If you've been listening to us since the beginning in October, then some of this might be a little bit of a refresher for you, but hopefully it just gets your wheels spinning and thinking a little bit more about your estate plan and your legacy. And we also have to shout out our cohort, Elizabeth Caruso. She's not with us tonight. That lucky duck is warm down in Florida. little vacation, but she will hopefully be back with us next week. <laughs> She's not getting out of this. <laughs> so we're going to jump in right in with some myths that we commonly hear as estate planning attorneys. And we're going to do some myth busting to help give you some general guidance in regard to the estate planning and how it may pertain to you. This is one of our favorite things to do. You'll hear us do this a lot. If we have a particular show topic, um, we always try at least to chuck in a few myths, a few questions, commonly asked questions, because, you know, we, we say this a lot, but folks don't know what they don't know about estate planning. And we don't blame you. You know, we're, we've got years of education and experience behind us for that reason. It's our job to educate and inform our clients. Um, but there is so much out there. What did we call it last time? Like the Google black hole. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of information out there, some accurate, some wonderful, some put together really nicely. Um, but it, when we do the, the whole Google dive, uh, much like the, you know, the WebMD dive <laughs> that you go down, you can end up in a rabbit hole that might not necessarily pertain to you, your state, your family, and things of that nature. So we are big fans of Mythbusters, um, keeping you on your toes as well. But it's also fun for us. And uh, we hope that it's, um, it serves to, to sort of give you something that you might not have known before. So we'll jump right in with one of the first ones that we hear quite often from from either potential clients or sometimes when we're out in the community, um, people say this to us all the time that they don't feel estate planning is necessary because they're not elderly and so it's only needed if you are elderly and have some health issues. Yeah, I mean, I think for a lot of folks, this is an area that, you know, consciously or subconsciously we want to put off. We don't want to think about these things. And we would love to think that potentially we are invincible and we don't need to worry about these things now. I'll worry about that tomorrow. I'll worry about that later. Uh, and one of the things that we chat a lot with our clients is um, estate planning is different for everyone, but it is important for everyone at any age. There are so many different factors that come into estate planning and as you mentioned, you know, any age, it could be that you're single and you want to be sure that you are avoiding probate court and having things go to your loved ones, or you might have minor children that you need to think about if something were to happen. And sometimes we come across a lot of clients that are 
taking care of their grandchildren. And so they need to properly plan for their grandchildren that they've now had to, you know, step in and, and take care of. And so, as you mentioned, each one looks differently and age doesn't matter when it comes to the estate plan. Yep. Lovingly, you know, we're going to, we have a lot of catchphrases. Maybe we'll uh, copyright them at some point, but you know, frankly, 18 to 80 plus and then some, every, there's, there's a plan for everyone in particular, young folks, we're not talking a ton of assets, right? So that's why I think there's that, I don't need to plan. I'm not older. I'm young. I have nothing. I'm just starting out. i I don't need to worry about that. We implore our clients to think about, well, listen, what happens if you're incapacitated? It's not just about the finances, and we'll get into that a little bit further in the show. What if someone needs to make a medical decision for you? Things of that nature. So we, we want to make sure that the type of plan that you have might be different as we get older, but everyone needs a plan. Second, you're in adulthood, which is a little scary, but necessary nonetheless. I think one trend that we've been seeing lately is college students you know their their parents have yeah. done their state plan or even their grandparents and they we have this conversation and then they are having you know the children are then calling us that are in college and saying you know I think I need to do this to be they're sure they're not calling they're texting no <laughs> <laughs> but they're there's you know you, you're right email or text and saying you know we need to do this because I'm now 18 and my parents can't do anything in that regard. And so I think that is something that we are seeing a lot more of. It's definitely something I didn't think of at the time. Um, oh, no way. Nope. But to see this trend and seeing, you know, I guess a lot of us would still refer to them as kids to see, even though they're no longer kids, they are adults. To see them taking these steps, we're still is huge. kids, right? No, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> no, I, I, you're totally right. I, um, you know, I, it's really impressive. Uh, just as you said, there's no way that I was thinking about any of this going into college. I wasn't. I was thinking, you know, what classes can I take? Can I can I avoid an 8 a.m. class? And uh, you know, how can I do well? But estate planning, healthcare proxies, powers of attorney were not on my mind. Um, and you know, God love my parents, it wasn't on their mind either. But in this this generation, we're seeing a lot of it's it's we talk about again legacy, 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 right? It's it's the parents doing their planning and making right the right decisions, and kids following examples, but also taking the steps on their own. I, at eighteen, I was probably afraid to order a pizza over the phone. Never mind contact an attorney for my own estate planning. So it's really impressive, and um, we're hoping that more and more kids see the value in it. Those kids. <laughs> um, so another question we. Um, we hear this a lot. We get it a lot. And uh, it, it's another fun one. Uh, it uh, sort of stems off of what we were just talking about. You know, I'm not old enough, but I'm not wealthy. I'm not wealthy enough. So I don't need to bother with estate planning yet or at all. I don't need to worry about any of this. What do we think of that one? Definitely a myth. And it, like you said, it ties right into what we were just talking about. Estate planning isn't just about the finances. Ensuring that somebody can step in to make health care decisions for you just because you're married does not give your spouse an inherent right to make those decisions. In Massachusetts, um, there there's not just this guarantee of, oh, you're now married, so now you can both make decisions, health care and financial for each other. You still have your own individual right. Without a health care proxy or a power of attorney, they're not able to step in at all. And these decisions have nothing to do with money. You know, if you are not able to make your own health care decisions and somebody can't step in, then your loved ones are going to court and spending a lot of money to be able to get guardianship or conservatorship to help make these decisions. Yeah. And there's obviously different definitions of what wealth is to certain people. And, you know, we, again, we do a lot of joking, a lot of making light of the situations when we're talking about this stuff. Sometimes it can be heavy. But we say, listen, we're not running around with yachts and, and multiple houses and different states and countries and things of that nature. You know, the most of us are, you know, working. We might own a home. We have an income. We have maybe some retirement, some savings. But a lot of people are saying, okay, that's, you know, we're, we're getting by. And we would argue that that's all the more reason to plan. You know, we don't have expendable funds to pass on. We want to make sure that what we do have goes where we want it to go in the way in which we want it to go. We don't want exorbitant amounts of money and time spent on probate, lawyers, arguing, litigation, you name it. So we would, we would 
vehemently argue against this. If you're not wealthy, quote unquote, uh, you know, if, if your assets are modest is what most people say, it's, it's, it's still so important to plan. And I think, you know, having a home is one of the biggest assets that really is no, you can't put a beneficiary on a home. So you need to It'd be have so much easier and we'd probably be out of a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> but it is best to have a plan and especially more so a trust plan when you do own a home. And I think that there's also a kind of thought that a lot of people have of, well, I don't own my home. The bank still owns it. Yeah, absolutely. And that does not prohibit you from doing certain types of trust to avoid probate court. Yes, there are some trusts that you're not able to do if you still have a mortgage on your home, but a revocable trust to be able to avoid the probate court, allow your loved ones to be able to either clean out the house and sell it right away, or maybe it's being transferred to a child or a grandchild. It allows them to move efficiently with the property, whereas probate court would tie them up for a minimum of three to four months just to get the appointment and then it can go on the market after that time frame. And so just because you still have a mortgage on your property, you doesn't mean that you don't own your home and cannot do estate planning. Yeah, you'll be waiting for that title forever, right? <laughs> it's not like a car. Um, Kendra, I'm throwing this one to you because I know you love this one. You, you, I, know what, I know what your answer is. So my family, I've told them everything. We're all on the same page. We've talked about it. They know what I want. We've got verbal agreements with family members, and that's all that me and my family need. We're not complicated. We don't argue. We all get along. I've told them what I want. Is that going to su suffice? <laughs> no, absolutely not. And it's sad because we have actually worked with many clients that have come into our office and said, my mom, you know, just passed away. I live with my mom. I've lived there for 20 plus years. She always said that I would get the home because I've lived here and taken care of her and my siblings have their own homes. They don't need the home. And unfortunately, mom didn't actually put it in writing. As much as one person can say, you're going to get my home or I'm going to give you $20,000 or you'll get this. I think we talk about a gravy boat quite often here. You know, I don't even know how to make my own gravy. <laughs> it doesn't matter what somebody says if it's not in writing the state law is going to make the decisions and the state law is not going to say because one sibling lived there that they now inherit the house yeah and it goes beyond that too because we we always say we see the absolute best in people in a lot of these difficult situations too it's not all doom and gloom you know there's a lot of it because you know with ambiguity and with money there's often arguments and feelings and things of that nature but we do see some really beautiful behavior between family members uh, and in this case sometimes we have family members who say you know what yeah, it's all split evenly, but you were the one with mom. You took care of her. I, I lived out of state, whatever it might be. You should get more. So in that case, there we might even have an instance where family members want to do what mom or dad wanted verbally. State law says otherwise. The assets get divided according to state law, whether folks want it that way or not. And then they intend, well, I'm just going to turn around and gift it. But then that creates a whole other set of issues. We're talking tax implications in particular. So um, verbal agreements, well, beautiful. You always want people to be on the same page, but um, memorialize it in writing. Right. It's great to have the conversations. Sure. And we, we encourage conversations with family, but really it needs to then be written down. Another myth that we commonly hear is my will avoids the probate court. Ah. <laughs> and I think this one stems from, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of, everyone has to have, you got to have a will, you got to have a will, you got to have a will. So I think it's some, somewhere along the lines, it became synonymous with, oh, I have a will, I have an estate plan, I'm set, which in some instances, under some goals, sure. But what a will does not do is avoid probate court. A will has some beautiful qualities, but it's limited. And the only way that a will's powers become viable is through probate court oversight. So having a will is actually a one-way ticket to probate court. So it actually serves the opposite. But there, there's a lot of folks out there who believe that I have a will, I'm all set, I can avoid probate court. 
And a will is better than no will because you are having your wishes to be followed and not the state law. And there are certain hoops that the court requires you to jump through that could be avoided depending on the type of property that you owned at the time if you have a properly drafted will with the specific powers that need to be in it to avoid those hoops. And so it really is just that guidance for the court, which leads me a little bit into the, well, once I create a will, I'm set for life and don't need to update it. This is something that we feel a lot of people kind of feel like I still have the same children and I'm still just leaving everything the way it is. That may be the case and that might work, but the laws change, the different powers change, and it's possible, and I think this is a lot of times that we see people when they do finally come in to update their plan, their kids were probably minors when they drafted their will, (laughs) and, you know, their sibling is the personal representative who may or may not be living or they may or may not still have a relationship with, and so... The will, as much as you may think it does what you need, there's probably some things in there that it does need to be reviewed and possibly updated depending on what's occurred and how much time has passed. Yeah, so this is one of those gray, maybe, but it's best practice to have it reviewed. As Kendra said, even if you're not updating it for any reason, These are one of the things that you do not want to file in the back of the cabinet, in the back of the closet indefinitely. While a will will never expire, which can create its own issues, we see how many very, very, very old wills um, that oftentimes become problematic because they weren't at least reviewed. So do you absolutely need to update it? You know, very hesitantly and very grayly. Technically, perhaps not. What this, this sort of you should be thinking of is reviewing. Review, review, review. And you may require an update here or there. And there's so many life events that trigger the need for a review as well, such as marriage, divorce, birth of children or grandchildren. And it's not necessarily your marriage or your divorce. It could be of your children um, or, or having grandchildren. There are times when sometimes people leave to their children and then they're a children's spouse. If something happened to their child first, well, if they are now divorced, you probably don't want it to go to that spouse anymore. And so at least reviewing it will help you feel comfortable that it does what you need. Yeah. And another great one, um, sort of coming off of wills, is, okay, I see that a will isn't exactly going to cover me. It's not going to keep me out of probate. So I have a trust. So I can avoid probate entirely if I have a trust. This one is very interesting. A lot of people do say, I have a trust, so it's going to avoid the probate court. And we, Or we have people come in that says, here's my, my father's trust. And we say, okay, can we look at all the statements and see what assets that he held? And it was all still in dad's name alone. You can have a trust and you can make sure you put all the terms in it that you want as to who it gets distributed to, in what manner, who's to be in charge of it. But if you don't actually put your assets into the trust, which means you're changing title of some assets, you may be adding the trust as a beneficiary of some assets. And so if you don't do that, then your trust is just paper and it's not going to avoid the probate court for anything that is still in your name alone and sometimes there's also items that just can't go into a trust like in massachusetts a car is not really beneficial to put into a trust because they then require some extra insurance commercial plates that type of thing so probate court might be needed but on a much smaller scale than what we speak of. There are some easier processes, but they only come into play in certain circumstances. And I love this one. And there's there's a need for it, but so we have a lot of clients who say, "Oh, we're 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 insured. 
we have so much life insurance. If I die, my, my spouse is taken care of, the kids are taken care of, they're coming into a boatload of money, they're taken care of. So life insurance is my estate plan. I don't, I don't need to do any, anything else. They're taken care of. What do we think about that one? <laughs> life insurance can be great and can take care of different expenses for end of life and then also ensure that they are receiving the assets. But if you don't have beneficiaries on your life insurance, then you're going through the probate court. And most people don't have just life insurance. They do have bank accounts or a home or some type of retirement account that they can pass on. And so life insurance can be a good tool. A lot of times we see it used between spouses when there's either minor children or a dependent and when there might still be a mortgage on the home, you know, so those are good times to have life insurance because you are losing an income if something happens to your significant other, but it does not replace an estate plan. Still with life insurance, nobody has the power to step in and make healthcare decisions for you or financial decisions for you. It's really just giving more assets to the people, but it's not actually creating a plan to ensure that they are avoiding court and that things are going to be easier. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. It does not replace the estate plan. I love that you said that. And then none of this is to say that we're not proponents of life insurance. We think it's an absolutely crucial valuable tool if valuable tool if you can qualify for it and you can receive it. We talk to our clients quite a bit. A lot of folks have it through work, which is wonderful. It's typically, um, you know, very cost effective to sign up for those plans, have the funds uh, taken out of your your biweekly pay, and it's 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 a very reasonably priced. But we're also proponents of separate life insurance and independent life insurance. Once you stop working for a certain amount of time, that life insurance, um, you know, stops working for you. Uh, you no longer have it. So we're we're big fans of life insurance. It's just not going to take the place of a comprehensive estate plan. So another one that we like to be sure to myth bust and get out of the way for people is that estate planning is only about distributing assets after death. Again, we've kind of talked about this a bit, but I just feel that everybody really links estate planning with passing away. And that's just not the case. Yeah. And I mean, there's part of that is also makes people reluctant to plan because they just associate it with death and I'm gone and there's there's worry in regard to that. But it's more than the financial piece. It's honoring your wishes in so many other ways. It's we talked about this, you know, several times and we'll say it over and over again. It's your health care wishes. It's your legacy. It's your memories. It's your, you know, physical things. Um, making sure that there's a plan, making sure that there's someone who's able to be your voice if you're still here. I think so much of this, when folks come in, they start immediately talking about, well, when I die. And sometimes we say, well, wait a minute, we have to take care of you during your lifetime too. Of course, it's important to plan for when we're gone. That's that's very important. But nobody thinks about, I'm here, maybe I'm incapacitated or I need some assistance. Um, so these are things that are often neglected to even be be thought of and they're all part of planning as well. And so I think that leads us a little bit as people start thinking about this estate planning, they think, oh, you know, that just seems like a lot. I can just go online and uh. grab a template. <laughs> There's, you know, different online services that you can download documents and maybe fill in the blanks to create your estate plan in a more economical way. But what, what are your thoughts on this, Michelle? This is one of our favorites. Um, and we're not here to bash any companies out there, wink, wink, but um, we have yet to find a template review of a will that we have not found some pretty major issues with. Um, specifically for our state, even just going on, will this thing work for you? Not, not even going through all the things that are wrong. But what we're often finding, especially with Massachusetts, we are such a nuanced state. Um, these, these sort of blanket statewide documents don't pass muster here. We have specific rules and oftentimes um, we'll find clients who come in with powers of attorney from other states and we're saying, oh, wait a minute, we're missing a whole bunch of things here. Or 
you know, very simple wills from other states that are missing some crucial powers. So in these instances, very lovingly, you get what you pay for. Um, there's really no one there to counsel you. They're just a template document. They're fitting you into the document, not the document into your goals and your situation, which oftentimes, frankly, brings about more issues than if you didn't have a plan, you know, in certain circumstances. And every plan that we do is different. Yes, there are powers that every plan is going to have or there is language in specific documents that every document of that type is going to have that language but it is tailored to each client there are specific things that some clients may want such as organ donation other clients may not want that some clients may want to have some more control over their assets after their passing, while others do not. Some people might have children or heirs that they want to disinherit and not include in their estate plan. So these are all the different nuances that we do really tailor for each client. So it's not a matter of just printing out a plan and filling in the blanks. And that really is how these online templates are formed. Absolutely. Another one of my favorites, um, more so because there's, especially with, with Massachusetts, again, you know, we live in a very interesting state. And so I love this one. Uh, my spouse will automatically inherit everything when I die. So it's just us, you know, some assets. We got a very simple, perfect family dynamic. Um, so my spouse is going to inherit everything when I die. That may be true. Mm -hmm. It's possible if it's your first marriage, if both your kids are just from that marriage, there's no kids on either side from any other relationship. But without a plan and especially without a will, if you, depending on who owns the assets or the home, real estate, you are going through the probate court no matter what. There's even to transfer to a spouse, you need to have the court authority to be able to transfer those assets. And when it does come to blended families, you know, second marriages or first marriages with children from other relationships, the state does not feel that you would want to leave everything to just your spouse. The state believes that you would have wanted to provide for your spouse and your children or if they had children from a previous relationship and you did not have children, then it's for your spouse and your parents if they're living or your siblings. It goes down a line and it is not going to all be there for your spouse. And I would say that in probably 99% of our you know clients, most second marriages do at least want to be sure that their spouse is provided for first. And that's just not going to happen if you don't plan, if you're in a blended family. And again, this is only really taking into account after we die. This is not referencing anything to do with lifetime decisions. And as Kendra mentioned before, the blessing of being married to our significant other for no matter how many years does not give them the automatic legal right. We don't inherit that right to make decisions legal or medical or otherwise on behalf of another person without legal documentation. So, you know, you could be in, in that perfect family that we discussed for, you know, in a 40 year marriage and you're still living, but perhaps there's a capacity issue with with you or, or your spouse. Neither one of you has the ability to make a decision on behalf of the other. So not only are we talking planning for after we're gone, but you also want to consider lifetime planning, which are those healthcare proxies, those powers of attorney. So, um, you know, just saying my spouse will get everything. Sure, they might eventually, as Kendra said, after potentially a probate process. But you also have to think about during your lifetime. We're living longer and we're living with, um, you know, ailments and illnesses as well. So we, we have to also take into consideration the fact that we may need to rely on our spouse um, for, for more important things and we need to give them the legal authority to do it. So I think that is a great spot to take our break. 
Thank you for listening to Legacy Legal Live, and we will be back soon. Zipprint Centers of Randolph is the premier one-stop custom print shop that proudly serves the WMEX family. Posters, postcards, and more, their on-site printing experts are ready to turn your project into a work of art. WMEX uses Zipprint Centers of Randolph exclusively for all of our printing needs, and you can too. Call today at 781-963-2250 or email at info at zipprintcenters.com today. Zipprint Centers, 781-963-2250. Yeah, yeah, we're replacing the carpets too, so don't worry about that. No fresh powder yet, but Dan Ski Lodge has an avalanche of projects. Those four rooms are getting hot tubs. He needs a staff engineer to navigate a flurry of new requests. And all of those will be fully ADA accessible. Indeed can help him hire great people fast. I need Indeed. Indeed you do. You can schedule and conduct virtual interviews all from your employer dashboard. Visit Indeed.com slash credit and get $75 towards your first sponsored job. Terms and conditions apply. We are a staple in the neighborhood. Most of our customers have been coming here since they were children for 75 years. It's been the Fowler House since 1946. And so there's a lot of memories here. And so when people think of Quincy Center, they do think of the Fowler House. We're in our 43rd year here at the Fowler House and we haven't changed much. We are gonna add a few new menu items. We're going to spruce up some of the ones that we already have on the menu. We're gonna improve on a few appetizers, adding pulled pork to the menu permanently on the sandwich side, adding Italian sandwich. So it's going to broaden the sandwich offerings. We're also going to add a special burger in the name of someone at WMEX. We're going to roll out a new drink list, adding some ball flavors for the next few months, winter flavors, and then some permanent items such as some new margaritas, bourbon smashes, old fashions, kind of get back to that traditional uh, cocktail menu. Fowler House Cafe located at 1049 Hancock Street and online at thefowlerhousecafe.com. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and you can of course hear us on the airwaves at 1510 WMEX. And welcome back on this Wednesday evening. We are Legacy Legal Live here with you tonight talking some estate planning myths and common questions. This is Michelle Reed and Kendra O'Toole. And we would love to invite you to uh, give us a call, ask us some of your questions tonight or any other night that we're on the show, 781-834-9639. Again, we are two of the three attorneys at Legacy Legal Planning. Our office is in Norwell. You can reach out to us at any time if you have specific questions. We're always here to help. You can uh, find us on LegacyLegalPlanning.com. You can email us at admin at LegacyLegalPlanning.com or give us a call, 781-971-5900. You can schedule a 15-minute intro call. We'd be happy to chat with you about your more specific questions if you don't feel comfortable on the air. But if you do, definitely give us a shout. So like we said, we're taking it back. We've been on the air now for, what do we say, four months, which is has flown by. We've had um, some, some really interesting topics to discuss, but we feel like with estate planning, it warrants kind of consistently going back to the basics and sharing these commonly thought of things that are potentially incorrect or possibly incorrect. Um, some of the common questions that we hear a lot from clients and, and colleagues and otherwise to give you the opportunity to kind of evaluate these things based on your situation and decide uh, what type of planning is best for you. Uh, so we're going to start with one last myth and then go into some of the common questions. So we've been myth busting all first half of the show. We have fun with that always. Uh, so here's a good one. Uh, and we actually hear this way more often than you would think. We do a lot of um, planning for um, older folks and, and, and thinking of potentially long-term care planning and, and where our, our assets go. So this is relative uh, in a lot of different capacities. So here it is. I can give away all my assets before I die. So then I really get to avoid probate. I don't have to worry about anything because I won't have anything. I'll put it in someone else's name, gift it away, and I will uh, bounce my last check. We had a client say that one time and we we, 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 we use it all the time. <laughs> what do we think of that one? So this one is, like you said, people say, oh, I'll just gift it away or give my money away. But the fact of the matter is life is uncertain. We don't know when that final day is going to come. We don't want to know. <laughs> right. You know, and so you can't plan to give away all your assets before you pass away because you don't know when that day could be. And so if you're giving away all of your assets when you are 
65, 70, 85. You could live another 20 years and need your assets to live. And if you've given them all away, odds are they're not going to be there for you. And you're also then putting them in the hands of loved ones that you might feel, oh, they're going to stash it into an account for me. So if something happens, the money will be there to take care of me. But it's just not in my name anymore in case I ever need that long-term care in a nursing home. Yeah, and sadly, this is where we see this is, an, this is a sad example. Uh, we all have clients, and I'm thinking of one in particular that, um, so all of this happened before they met us. Otherwise, we would have advised otherwise. But, um, you know, a very well-meaning grandmother, uh, her granddaughter lived with her. She took care of her. Um, and granddaughter made some interesting life choices, we'll put it that way. But grandma kind of along with giving assets away, you know, put the house in her name, changed the bank accounts over. Uh, so really, granddaughter had full control over all of her assets. And in the verbal agreement, we talked about that earlier in the show, the verbal agreement was that, you know, granddaughter would have control of the assets, but would always take care of her grandmother, use the assets for her grandmother. They were just, you know, innocently trying to transfer the legacy ahead of time, right? make things a little bit easier, more cost effective. All of these things were done with good intentions and um, things went sour. Again, granddaughter's choices did not improve and it ended up being in a situation where, you know, there was really, it was, it was a tough situation. The granddaughter was withholding money, trying to attempt to force the grandmother out. It was, it was bad. She was evicting her grandmother. So, you know, we, we were presented with this situation and these sorts of things are things that you, you never want to come upon. And I think the point of this is there's there's better ways to do this. There's better ways to avoid probate. There's better ways to protect your assets. And these are the things that we talk about consistently. You said this last week. Uh, part of it is, you know, a client comes to us with an idea in mind. We're open to it and we give them the education surrounding it. So what is your goal? Okay, here are pros and cons to what you're thinking. There's a better way to do this. And I think I was just having this conversation with a client yesterday back you know going back a couple generations so now the baby boomers their parents and grandparents it was commonplace to transfer the home and money to to their children or grandchildren to kind of stash away a little bit for their benefit but at the same time it's out of their name and so if they did need that long-term care and they needed to go to the state to ask for help, they would qualify and be able to have the state pay rather than private paying to a nursing home. But nowadays, divorce rate is 50%. Maybe it's a little more even now. I wouldn't be surprised. And if you're giving that money to a child to hold on to for your benefit, your name cannot be on it. So now it's in an account in their name. And if they ever get divorced that asset is going to be counted as an asset of theirs in the divorce. And that spouse can have legal entitlement to it. Yeah, unless you're paying a, a litigation attorney a significant amount of money to do the deep dive and prove otherwise. But most of us are not in that position. And that's, right. And that's also going to probably be a little hard to prove in the sense of, depending on how long it is and if, if other what deposits have gone in and it's absolutely a lot. Yeah. it's a lot of legwork it's not a matter of just saying oh no that's my mom's or no that's my dad's money that's not going to fly with the court or the other attorney <laughs> right <laughs> or your future ex-in-law and so the routines and the avenues that our elders and our loved ones in the past took was okay back then because it was just a different situation now there's just divorce. There's lawsuits left and right these days. Everyone's looking for the buck. And that is, again, another issue that it can be counted as their asset. And now you are putting your home or your funds at risk due to your child being sued. Yeah. And this this notion stems from the fear that, you know, the state's going to take it all. I'm going to need long-term care and the, the state is going to wipe out my assets. I will have nothing left to pass on or I, I won't have, they'll leave me destitute. My spouse needs care and I'm home and I'll be 
be destitute. So, you know, a lot of this is fear-based and sort of the lesson behind this that we we try to, um, you know, make sure that we, we shout from the rooftops is a lot of these myths and fears, we can talk about them and we can plan ahead for them. Um, if, if you're sort of reaching out regularly or if you have a plan, we're updating regularly and we're keeping a pulse on your life situation relative to the growing needs for long-term care. A lot of these whole, the that the, the state's going to come in and take everything. It seems that way, but it's oftentimes in crisis situations, um, there are limited options. So it feels that way, or we didn't do proper planning ahead of time. So there's liens involved. So there's a lot of things that go behind this sort of fear-based statement of, I'm just going to give away all my assets and, and that's going to make it easier. So the, the component there is pre-planning when you can, when you're thinking about it, we talked about this last week, there's nothing wrong with having a consultation ahead of time. You might not be in the position to need long-term care or your loved one might not quite be there yet, but there is nothing wrong with empowering yourself and equipping yourself with the information to plan ahead. Nothing wrong with that. We love that. (laughs) Uh, Which kind of leads into another common question. So we're talking about giving away the assets. So Kendra mentioned that's putting your assets at risk. They're in the name of a loved one and they're subject to divorce creditors, you know, potentially they need to dip into your cash stash, you know, you never know. Um, So a lot of questions, a common question we get is, well, I can just put my child on my account, right? I can just make them a joint account holder that eliminates the need for a power of attorney or things of that nature. I know you like this one. (laughs) That goes back to a little bit of that same conversation of when you add your child on as a joint owner, you are then opening that door to divorce creditors because something happens, their name is now tied to that account. And that goes back to proving that they've never put money into that account, that it was just for convenience, that you just wanted to be sure that if something happened, they could write checks, they could still pay your real estate taxes and your bills and homeowner's insurance. And that it's more hoops that have to be jumped through that could have been taken care of with a proper power of attorney. By having a power of attorney, you can name that child or niece, nephew, whoever it is, to be that attorney in fact. That then enables them to deal with your bank account, pay bills, withdraw money for your benefit for different reasons without having the connection of ownership. And that goes back to something we talked about earlier and another thing we talk about all the time is that can also lead to some of these unintended consequences in terms of inequity when we do die. So we're, we're, we're adding a child to a bank account for lifetime convenience. So one would think that's great. You know, I've, I've pre-planned, I've, I've thought about if I'm living but incapacitated, all of those things that could potentially benefit me. What you might not have thought about is the fact that let's say you have more than one child, but you've only got one child listed as a joint owner on your bank account. Well, when we die, that one child then inherits that account and they don't have to share unless they can, again, going back to the deep dive and the time and and potentially hiring counsel to prove that that money was not there with the intent for them to inherit it as a joint owner after you die. And it goes back to, again, there's a better way to do it. And as Kendra mentioned, a power of attorney is a beautiful tool. It's a simple tool and it's an underutilized tool. Another common question that we receive from potential clients is, should I involve my adult children in my estate planning process? You know, we've talked about ways that people try to avoid probate or powers of attorney and planning by adding their adult children onto accounts or onto property. Um, But yes, we do think that they don't necessarily need to be in the meetings. They can be if you want, but it is good to have conversations And especially if you are thinking of having different distributions. If there is one that you feel is a primary caretaker and you want to give them a little extra than the others, that sometimes should have a conversation first. It's a hard conversation, but they're more likely to understand it hearing from you and what your intent was and what your thought process was as to why you planned that way, 
versus them seeing it on paper after you've passed away and now you're putting a wedge between the siblings. Yeah, we'll, we'll take um, a page from Liz's uh, book. If, if you're intending on significantly changing the distribution destination, <laughs> um, it, having a family conversation is, is certainly helpful in a lot of situations. And your estate plan is your estate plan. They cannot tell you what they want your estate plan to be or who they think should be in charge. So when it comes down to signing and to when you're meeting with attorneys and really putting your plan together, we always sit with our clients to ensure that it is their wishes and that they aren't just saying something to not hurt someone's feelings that might be in the room or that they feel forced to make a certain decision one way because somebody's there. And it's important that you keep in mind that this is your plan, not their plan. And so you need to think about what is best for you, who are the best people to be in certain positions. That's not always family. You know, I think oftentimes people think it has to be your child or your, we've even had spouses that have not named each other for healthcare proxy and whatnot because they knew that it just, they either wouldn't be able to make the decision, you know, it's too difficult, it's my spouse, how do I make that decision for them? And so having these conversations and making this plan tailored to you and your wishes is what really matters, not your adult children, as much as it is good to have these conversations first. Yeah, and in other instances, we often find that, um, you know, there's not a level of, there's no pressure, there's no adult child saying, this is what I want. We find a lot of clients, the, the adult children are, listen, you know, I don't need anything. I'm fine. Take care of you, right? So part of the involvement of your adult children in a lot of this is, uh, you know, we get the question also, another common one is, uh, how do I choose between my kids for certain roles? Kendra mentioned, it doesn't always have to be family. It doesn't always have to be your kids. But if it is, if, if you want to choose, um, sometimes the conversation will, will help weed that answer out. You might have one child that you have in mind to be your trustee, to be your personal representative, also called an executor. You might have one child in mind to be your healthcare proxy, and they might have different feelings uh, about stepping into that role. Not in any negative capacity, but just to give you some guidance as to, you know what, mom, dad, I don't think I'm the right person to serve in this capacity. I really think, you know, my my brother is actually better. So they, they might actually help in that process if they're ready, willing, and able to step up. Uh, they might be able to help you make that decision. Uh, lots of times we have clients who just kind of default to the oldest child um, for many reasons, obvious uh, and otherwise. But in some cases, having that family discussion can actually lead you to um, a more effective decision so that if incapacity comes about, if and when you die, uh, there's there's no one in a role that they're not necessarily comfortable in or, or, or unaware that they're in that role. Another thing that we talked about earlier was blended families. And one common question is, does estate planning change for individuals with blended families? We touched on this a little bit, but in regard to the statute and how that directs where things go if you don't actually plan yourself. But really, we see the way that planning for blended families is a little different in the sense that depending on the marriage, how long it's been, maybe what age they got married, there are times when we are doing different trusts and ensuring that, you know, each spouse went into it of what's yours is yours and what's mine is mine in that sense for the families. And so they try to keep it separated that way. And so sometimes the plan consists of that way. And it may not all go to the spouse. A portion of it might go to the spouse. And then a portion of it goes to the children. Or it might all go to the surviving spouse. And and both of them plan for both sides of the family. And so there's really lots of avenues and ways that can change estate planning for blended families. And this also goes into play with their health care proxies and powers of attorney. Um, oftentimes, we've been seeing that there is a child that's more involved with the parents, which is usually then a stepchild to one of the one of the spouses. And 
they are stepping in and making these decisions because that that step parent felt, you know, you're here, you take care of us. I also think you should be in this position for me too. And so it's not always the children. It is also the stepchildren that come into play and might be the ones that are more involved for one of the spouses. And so the plan may be that a stepchild is more that person in charge to make those decisions than their actual children. Yeah, gone other days of what we call cookie cutter families, right? It's everyone's different. And um, you alluded to it earlier that some, every estate plan has sort of the same building blocks. You have some remnants of um, power of attorney, your life planning documents, power of attorney, healthcare proxy, your legacy documents, your wills, your trusts and things of that nature. All of the, the overarching elements of the plan are similar. But when you get down to the details, every single family is different in some extreme ways and some just minor but a minor difference might put your plan in a total different direction than than another type of client so having these items in mind uh, is very important which goes back to the things that we keep reiterating the the cookie cutter boilerplate online templates all of those things um you know, you really want to shy away from those things. That's the nicest we can say that, right? <laughs> um, one of the things that we talked about, um, we might have mentioned it last week for a little bit as well, and but I think it's something that we need to keep bringing up and will become, of course, more and more relevant because the, the digital type is not going away, put it that way. And a digital might even date us <laughs> using that term. But uh, do I need to include digital assets in my estate plan? Absolutely. <laughs> Definitively. Yes. <laughs> and I think this is something that goes towards keeping up with the times and keeping up with, as as attorneys, you know, we should, we are taking continuing education and we're staying up on the law changes. And digital assets is one that I am seeing just pop up all the time. Um, I was just in a course and I'm going to rewatch it again because there was so much to consume about how to try to properly plan for passing of digital assets. There are some things that have made it a little bit easier. Apple iPhone has a legacy contact that we love the name (laughs) that you can have them be able to have access to your phone and you know get photos i mean our phones nowadays is our life you have photos of family and loved ones you have your bank accounts on there there's probably passwords and stuff saved on there so not having access to a phone and we have numerous clients that unfortunately do not have access to the phone of loved ones and apple does not make it easy to be able to gain access to it and at least Apple is a store that you can go to. I mean, for Android and whatnot. All the more reason. I, I don't. All the more reason to stay with that. <laughs> I don't know. This where is not a pay for ad. <laughs> um, but same with you know Facebook now also has a legacy contact that you can appoint somebody to be able to access your Facebook page and they can either shut it down or they can make it a memorial page or just leave it as is. But th- again, that's a place where you have pictures and memories and your legacy for your loved ones. And so having just that alone of the memories doesn't even touch the financial side of it in regard to online bank accounts, online investments, there's so much out there now that's just online. You know, a lot of people have a Marcus Goldman Sachs high yield savings account all online. They have their, you know, Robinhood accounts or crypto didn't Bitcoin, exist. Right. All like, of these things. Yeah. All of these are digital assets that are just not properly planned for and don't have. Uh, we're working on a way to properly plan. We have, you know, terms that we can put in our documents, but there is still a rub and people are having issues gaining access because some places are finding that they just don't even want to follow. Yeah. And it, and it goes to the effect too of even, even seasoned estate planning attorneys. Um, Some of their documents are being, you know, 
held up to you know a flame essentially so if you're going to someone who uh, doesn't practice specifically in this area or if you're getting those I'm really bashing the online templates today but you know it, it serves a purpose uh, if, if you're getting your documents from from someone who's not a practitioner or who's not someone who practices in this area daily or you know essentially 100% their documents could be completely and ultimately rejected there's specific language that you know frankly with the amount of of updates and nuances in the digital world um these things are updated regularly the language is is getting you know thicker and thicker so it's it really goes to the importance of having properly drafted documents too i on that course that i was on they were talking about online bank accounts and that under these service agreements that you click that you agree to, these terms of engagement and service agreements with these online institutions, a lot of them have terms about your passwords and who can access. And you know now there's the two-factor authentication. So many hoops to jump through to be able to access your digital assets, which is great because you don't want just anybody to access them. But these different terms are prohibiting families from getting in. I know we've kind of said before, oh, keep a list of your passwords, but that's getting to the point that that's not enough. And this is where we are as a firm trying to dig deeper of figuring out what we can do to help ensure that our clients are not in this position because there are some families that have spent thousands of dollars, and I mean like 20, 40, $50,000, some more in litigation against these companies trying to find out how much is in an account of their loved one. And so they've had to go through the whole probate process already. Someone's now been appointed and has had to file suit against these companies so that they can gain access to their online accounts. And they are trying it's still to still so fraud. much the wild west it is. if you know it's it, the more advances we have the more ambiguity there is or you know it's just um it's 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 a little frightening and the companies are going as far to say it's fraudulent for you to use that person's login and password to get in even though you have powers from the court because you're using their login you haven't created your own login as the personal representative or the trustee or the executor. And so it, it's, you know, really sitting down with an estate planning attorney that's been working on learning about all of this and trying to ensure that your family is not in this position because it is just changing every day. And the amount of everything you sign up for now, you need a password. Oh, you, you want to... Save your photos here. What's your password? You want to get this coupon for this store? What's your password? And so to just have a list now of your passwords, these companies are just becoming a bit. And I think it's all the fraud and the hacking out there. They're scared. Sure. So they're putting together these terms of engagement and service agreements to cover their butts to ensure that somebody cannot access it. And they're doing it so strongly that... When someone passes away, their loved ones can't even access it. Yeah, so this is an area that prompts uh, a lot of folks to the thing that we've been saying over and over again. Create a plan, of course, but once you have, review it, update it, which leads us to, we've alluded to it, but deep diving a little bit further, when should I be reviewing my plan? Why? How often? These questions we get quite a bit. And reviewing your estate plan really should be happening every three to five years. I would go on the three side. Yeah, at minimum. I mean, given just what we talked about, even digital things alone, like we said, things advancements are happening, you know, by the minute. So having these things consistently reviewed. And just because there might be a change doesn't mean you need to revamp your whole plan. Sure, yeah. There are situations that, yes, you... The one person that you named through the entire document, every single document that you have is no longer here on this earth and you need to revamp your whole plan. But then there are times where you may just be updating a beneficiary that for the first time you can get away with doing some sort of amendment. Again, depending on the amount of changes and what needs to be done, you might have to redo your plan. But don't be fearful 
of having that yeah, review. That's a great point. Don't be fearful of doing the review because you might need a change because whether you do it right then and there or not, again, you're equipped with that information, that knowledge. Typically, a lawyer can tell you roughly what those fees are. Most of the time, not always, they're not what you paid initially. But, you know, again, depending on the, the multitude of, of changes, you know, but that's another thing. A lot of folks don't want you know, the, the financial aspect of making a change also keeps them fearful. But you've got to flip it around and look at the reverse. What's the financial downside of not making that change? We talked about clients that we've both had that had the entire, their whole plan was controlled roughly, you know, after after death by a family member that they no longer had a relationship with. So the financial downside of that is is pretty significant. So we hope that this evening we have gotten your... Not scared you too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, we really hope that you don't have a fear of estate planning, that we've been able to clarify some issues and concerns and questions that you might have had that have really enabled you to make that decision to take a step Pull out your estate plan if you have one. Look it over. Have an attorney look it over to ensure that it's going to work when it's needed. I think that's the biggest thing. We have so many people that come in and the plan just doesn't work, unfortunately, when it's needed. So those reviews ensure it will. So pull out your estate plans. Review them. If you don't have one yet, feel free to give us a call. Schedule that 15-minute consultation to learn a little bit more about our process. Our number is 781-971-5900, and you can find us at LegacyLegalPlanning.com. Thank you for joining us this evening on Legacy Legal Live. The content presented in this radio show, hosted by the attorneys of Legacy Legal Planning, LLC, is intended for educational purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice, and listeners are strongly advised not to rely on the information provided for specific legal decisions. Legacy Legal Planning, LLC, and its attorneys are not responsible for any actions taken based on the content of this show. For personalized legal advice, listeners are encouraged to consult with a duly licensed attorney in their respective state.